All right, so we are in Revelation chapter 8, and something I want to do tonight in this message is first off, we're going to, um, we're going to show you what Revelation chapter 8 has to say and uh, what we're supposed to learn from it. But then I want you to hang on and pay attention because after we get kind of go through uh, the whole chapter, I want to teach you a very important lesson that you need to understand when interpreting things in the Bible to help you just kind of answer a lot of the critics to what we believe when it comes to uh, you know the post-tribulation doctrine. There's a lot of these kind of gotcha questions they're going to throw at you that is really, um, I think it just illustrates many people's ignorance of the position. With a lot of the people, they're probably trying to be deceptive. But I want to give you uh, a very important lesson and, and a way to kind of look at some things in prophecy that I think will be a big help to you. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Okay, so one thing we need to do here real quick is just kind of review what's been going on. So in chapter 6, we start seeing the seals broken. And I explained how that book that had the seven seals, this book contains the wrath of God. Once the seven seals are broken, then we can start seeing the wrath of God take place. And so after he breaks the sixth seal, the sun is darkened, the moon is turned to blood, and then in chapter 7, we see the rapture take place. And so then when we get to chapter 8, now the seven seals have been broken. Okay. The seven seals are now broken here in verse 1. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now think about that too, because you have all these people with their charts that want to talk about your seven seal judgments, your seven trumpet judgments, and your seven bowl judgments, as they always say. And notice this seventh seal, there, you know, there is really no judgment in the seal itself. I mean, silence in heaven by the space of half an hour. Okay? What's going on here? The seventh seal is broken. I explained that before. And so now, the book is open. And when the book is open, God's wrath is about to be revealed. And it is revealed through seven trumpets that are about to sound. And so this space of this, this uh, silence for a half an hour, okay? What is this all about? Well, I remember the, one of the ways my dad illustrated this years ago and always kind of stuck in my head. As he always called it, it was kind of the calm before the storm. Okay, it was it was the calm before the storm, and I think that's a good way to look at it because think about this. Okay, God is angry at the world, is he not? I mean, it says in Psalm seven eleven, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. All right? I'm sorry, Pastor Trendy, but God is angry with you. All right, and God is angry. With the wicked. Everybody likes to try to act like God's not mad. He doesn't care and He just turns a blind eye to these things. That is not the case. God is angry with the wicked every day. And we see that, I mean, God has been holding back His wrath for a long time. This wrath that is about to be poured out, this is something that was prophesied, I mean, way back in Enoch's day. This is something that God has been holding off on for a very long time. And thank God He has been holding off. Thank God that instead of Him just bringing that wrath 2,000 years ago, instead, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the sins of mankind so there would be hope of salvation for those who would believe. Thank God that He did that. Thank God He's held off. But understand, God's, God's been angry. Psalms 103, verse 8 says, "...the Lord is merciful and gracious." 
slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Okay? God's not going to hold off forever. And he's been holding off for a long, long time. But now it's about time to happen. It says in 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay? So we understand that God has been holding back for a long time. And the way I kind of picture this here is all of a sudden that seventh seal's broken. And it's like, all right, it's time. Okay? God, Jesus Christ has already come back and He has taken the believers out of this world. He has rescued us. We have been caught up. We are there in heaven. So His people are now safe. So now... I mean, he is. It's like he's free to just go judge the earth. And remember, in chapter 6, after the sun was dark and moon was turned to blood, remember what they said? Hide us from the face of the Lamb. Uh, you know, hide us from the face of Him that sit upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? At this point, they will have seen Him. When Jesus returns in the rapture, everyone's going to see Him. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him. It's not a secret rapture. Every eye will have seen Him. He will have gotten the world's attention. The believers would have been snatched up. So think about this, alright? After this event takes place, what do you think the world is going to be doing for a long period of time? For at least a half hour or more, you know they're going to be looking up at the sky. You know all news cameras are going to be on the skies and on the sun that's been darkened and on the moon that's been turned to blood. They're going to be pointing out the fact we can't even see any stars in the sky. They're all gone. What's going on here? We all saw the Lamb. We saw Jesus Christ. Millions of people are missing. What's next? And so it's like, in, I can just picture the world standing there in fear and anticipation on what's going to happen next. And it's almost as like if Jesus is just there kind of savoring the moment. I mean, before He starts doing what He's been waiting to do for years and years and years, there's just kind of this moment of pause. It's a moment of silence. Okay, And another way my dad used to illustrate this too, it's kind of like whenever children, you know, uh, when you have a bunch of kids, in our house I had four sisters, and whenever one of them would do something really bad that you knew was going to make mom and dad real mad, everybody else would get real quiet. It was like you'd get real quiet and you'd look at dad, just wait to see what he's going to do. And you know, and whenever dad's mad like that, everybody gets real quiet and nobody says anything. Because you're afraid his wrath will come at you, you know? And then, and so that's kind of what's going on in heaven, alright? Jesus is angry. He is angry and you know what when that happens when we see that when we see that he's getting ready to take care of business we're not going to say anything the angels aren't going to say anything that's not you know when when dad's angry that's not time to even sing his praises sometimes it's time to shut up and that's the, what time it is in heaven and so uh you know it, it it's it's coming and so after everybody's waited and is watching in panic 
for a half an hour. What I believe is going to happen next, look at what it says in Luke 17 and verse 26. Okay, and this is another passage. I've touched on this before, but I'm going to touch on it again. This is another passage that gets butchered by all your nut job prophecy preachers. As it was in the days of Noah. And let's take 15 or 20 minutes now to talk about giants and Nephilim and you know all this weird stuff from before the flood as it was in the days of Noah. Hey, have you heard what they were doing over in these you know places today? You know, they're cloning half men, half animals, you know, they're cloning this, they're cloning that. And they'll tell you all these freaky stories to get you freaked out. You know what's happening? It's as it was in the days of Noah. Hey, guess what? There weren't Nephilim in the days of Noah either. All right, There weren't half man, half angels then. There weren't half men, half animals, none of that stuff. That's just Ruckmanite dispensationalist weirdo talk. That's all that is. You know what as in the days of Noah mean? You know what as in the days of Lot mean? And then we'll go another 20 minutes wasting our time talking about the sodomites and the queers and all those people. Well, you, know, you know what this means? Look what it says. They never read the passage in Luke where it makes it really, really clear. You can tell from Matthew too, but it's just even more clear in Luke. It says they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So it says they were basically living a normal life until the day that Noah went into the ark. And the day that Noah went into the ark, guess what? The floods came. Same day. Verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. All right? That's what as in the days of Noah means. That's what as in the days of Lot means. It means that the same day judgment is going to come. And so the same day that God pulls us out, that same day, guess what's going to happen? Fire and brimstone is going to rain in this earth. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then in verse 3, says, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunders, thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. And the seven angels had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burned up and all the green grass was burned up. So first trumpet. Okay, we've got fire and brimstone raining just like we see in the day when on the days of Lot. God pulled Lot and his family out. Then he rained fire and brimstone. Jesus is going to do the same thing when He pulls us out of the earth. He's going to rain fire and brimstone. And so notice too how in this passage, before this first trumpet blows, okay? So we have this space of silence for a half an hour. And then another thing that kind of takes place before Jesus starts pouring out His wrath is we see Him go inside. uh, he He goes to the altar, verse 3 having the golden censer, and there was much incense that should be offered 
with the prayers of all saints. We've talked about this in one of the previous weeks too. But I believe what God, what's, what's going on there is these angels are coming and they're basically pouring out all the prayers. And Jesus is being reminded of all of the prayers that have been prayed for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, from those who have called to the Lord asking for vengeance on their enemies because of the persecution, because of the martyrdom. And God has heard those prayers. God has saved those prayers. And it's almost as if when they offer these prayers of the saints, it's almost as if Jesus is doing this, having them do this to remind Him of what He's about to do and why He's about to do what He's going to do. He's hearing all those prayers. He's hearing the crying of those children who died right before their families and them were fed to the lions. And before they were burnt at the stakes. He's hearing those cries. He's hearing the screams of these people and it, uh, that has taken place throughout the years and God is going to deal with it. And it's going to be ugly, folks. It's going to be really ugly. And you know what? And I say, Amen. I say, Amen. Everything that Jesus is about to do He's doing it justly. You say, we shouldn't have that attitude. You know, you shouldn't want these people to die. Well, the truth is, I don't. That's why I'm trying to get people saved. And if they get saved, they won't be under the wrath of God. But, if they do not get saved, if they do not believe the wrath of God abideth on them. And you know what? I can't help them. I can tell you right now, I'm not going to try to get in between Jesus and them on that day. You better believe I'm not going to try. But you know what? Right now is our time to do something about it if you actually care. So before we get into all these trumpets, I want to point out a couple things. And first of all, the seven trumpets that we see here, a common mistake that is often made is people like to, when it comes to the timing of the rapture, you've got some people who teach a seventh trumpet rapture. Why? Because the last trump. Okay? And I want to show you why that is just dead wrong. Right? I'm not an enemy of people who believe that, but I don't think it's like a horrible heresy or anything like that. I just, I just think they're very wrong. All right? But look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 51. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound... And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, we know this is talking about the rapture, and it mentions how the rapture takes place at the last trump. So everybody's like, well, it's got to be the seventh trumpet. If you're saying the rapture comes before that, you believe the seven trumpets are after it, then you're wrong. It's not the last trump, and therefore, you know, you're, you know, you're making a mistake. and You're saying that it's not really the last trump. But here's the thing. You, you can't stop reading when it says the last trump. All right? And that's what people do. Last trump. Last trump. All right? That's what it says. Once again, zooming in on a verse and failing to zoom out and get full context, for it failing to read the verses before and the verses after. But I want to, I want to show you a couple of things here because first, the trump, all right, a trump is not an instrument. A trump is a sound the trumpet makes. Okay? A trump is a sound the trumpet makes. And it goes on to say, after it says the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. Why doesn't it say for the trump shall sound? Okay? Because it's not a trump. It's a trumpet. Okay? And the sound is a trump. Alright? And so, in other words, when the great trumpet sounds, at the last sound of the trumpet, 
We will be changed. Okay? Whenever people say, nope, that proves seventh trumpet. No, it is not a trumpet. It is a trump. There is a difference. Okay? It's, we're going to go out at the last sound that that particular trumpet makes. That's what that means. All right? And so I, I personally believe the trumpet will be, or the trump will be one long sound. Some people say, you know, it could possibly be like a series of trumpet blasts. Alright? You know, which I guess is a possibility, but I personally do not believe that, and I'll show you why. Go to uh, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. I'm not going to take time to read this whole story, but the first time we ever see a trumpet mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 19. I'll start reading verse 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down the side of all the people in Mount Sinai. And you all know the story. He told them, Don't go to the mountain. If you do, uh, you're going to be put to death. Nothing's allowed to even touch the mountain. And the, but He tells people to sanctify themselves. Right? You sanctify yourselves. The Lord God is going to come down among you and it says in verse 16 and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly and when the voice of the trumpet, look at the, look at this, sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. All right. So whenever this first trumpet that we ever see in the Bible is sounded, it's one long sound that gets louder and louder. Now, when this particular trumpet took place, guess what? Nothing happened. Why is that? Because the people had just sanctified themselves and then God goes on to tell them, you know what? Don't let anybody come up on this mountain. Exodus chapter 20, the very next chapter, guess what happens? God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. God ends up giving Moses the law. Why? He's showing, he gave the law, it was a schoolmaster to bring them salvation. God gave them the law to show them that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. They need to trust in the Lord. And that law that was given helps them realize just how sinful they were. And so now, when we get saved, alright, what was, what we, happens now when we get saved? We're sanctified by the blood of Christ. We do not sanctify ourselves through washing ourselves and trying to keep the law. We're sanctified by the blood of Christ. So guess what's going to happen the next time the trumpet sounds? And it sound, sounds long. We will be caught up this time. Why? Because we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We will become like Christ at that time. And I personally believe, this is just my personal opinion, I think what we see in Exodus chapter 19 was an attempt to rapture them that did not work because they were unclean. So, oh, so God failed in that? No, God does not fail, but I do think it was just God showing that they were unclean, that their sanctification didn't work. When God came down on the mountain and He sees them after they did their best to sanctify themselves, He said, if any of them even touch the base of the mountain, kill them. Okay? That's what God thinks of us and our sanctification we do for ourselves. But thank God next time He comes back, we'll be going up. Why? Because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. So, 
uh, you know, these... I, I, so I use I, that passage there with the trumpet, the way it sounded long. That's what I think is going to happen. I think there is going to be a long trumpet blast. How long? Is it going to be, you know, a minute, two minutes? I don't know. All right? But I, I, I think it's going to be a long blast, long enough to get, pe- to get everybody's attention. And I believe as soon as it, at the last trumpet, the last sound of it, boom, we're gone. That's what I believe that's talking about. So this trumpet, it's not even associated with the seven trumpets in Revelation. That's something completely different. The rapture trumpet will be too, it will be the trump of God, not the trump of an angel. In Zechariah 9.14 it says, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and His arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. Now, that's not, a, that's not a rapture passage right there, but that passage, though, does show us that God has a trumpet that God blows. Okay? And it doesn't say, with the trump of an angel, the seven trumpets are all blown by angels. But what does the Bible say about the rapture trumpet? It's the trump of God. Okay? The trump of God. Alright? That means it's him blowing the trumpet. Okay, if me and Tommy were up here playing the trumpet, okay, the trump of Tommy would be the trump, you know, the sound that he is making. Okay, or if it was, uh, you know, even if I was if I was using his trumpet, okay, it wouldn't be the trump of Tommy because the sound that's being made is coming from me. So if it's the trump of God, it doesn't mean one of the angels are using God's trumpet. Okay, no, if it's the trump of God, it means it's the sound that God is making with the trumpet. Y'all see that? So these seven trumpets, the seventh trumpet, can't be the trump of God because it's an angel blowing the trumpet. So these are just completely different trumpets, not related to the rapture trumpet. So the last trump argument, it fails. It does not work. It does not make sense. And it clearly contradicts what we see in Revelation chapter 8. So... Uh, that's you know that's just another reason. In Matthew twenty four verse thirty one, it says, "And he talking about Jesus shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other." We have he Jesus sending them the angels with the sound of a trumpet. I believe Jesus is the one blowing the trumpet. Okay, and then in Daniel chapter twelve verse one, look at this. It says, and "At that time." shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So we see Michael, that great prince, he is associated with the rapture. And in Jude one nine, we see it says, yet Michael the archangel. Okay, And I say all that to show you too that Gabriel is not part of the rapture. Okay, all the songs talk about you know Gabriel blowing that horn. Okay, you know Midnight Cry talks about as Gabriel sounds the horn or sounds the call. Uh, you know Gabriel blow that trumpet, fairly well, fairly well. You know that old uh, song. All the songs talk about Gabriel blowing the trumpet. It's not Gabriel. Okay, and it's not even Michael that blows the trumpet. It's Jesus that blows the trumpet. But Michael is there. Why? Because the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. So Michael is the archangel, not Gabriel. 
Everybody talks about, you know, there's Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer that are all the archangels. And they all got a third of the angels. Nowhere in the Bible does it call Gabriel an archangel. It's just not, not in the Bible. It's in other books that are not in the Bible. And, uh, the Bible never says Lucifer was an archangel. People just say that because it makes sense because Michael's mentioned a lot. Gabriel's mentioned a lot. We know Lucifer drew a third part of the stars, so he must have had a third. It's just, you know, be careful with that stuff. You don't just add stuff, all right? It's, it's not in the Bible. Either way, you know, Gabriel's not a part of the rapture in the Bible unless he's just one of the people gathering up the elect. Okay? But he is not, he is not mentioned, he is not named. It is songs. Alright? Songs. Most of these songs all written in the 1900s that teach this. Just like most songs that teach eminency are written in the 1900s, especially when we got into the 70s. Alright? The 70s is when everybody really started pushing the eminency stuff. I mean, it was about to happen, you know, 1988, you know, all, all these crazy things. That's when it really got pushed, and it got pushed in songs, and these things are stuck in people's heads. And it's just not Bible. So, um, you know, it, it's Michael that's going to be a part of that. So there is, there's, there's no association to, of these uh, seven trumpets that we see here in Revelation with the last trump. That is just, that's just wrong. That's all there is to it. So anyway, so after this period of silence... Okay, you know, God, God takes His moment to hear all the prayers of the saints and then He begins answering those prayers. So let's look at these trumpets real quick. Alright, so the first trumpet is where we see the hail and fire mingled with blood. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees was burned up and green grass was burned up. So just imagine a third of the trees being gone. Al Gore will be having a fit during this time. Alright, but you know what? I, I don't care. Alright? I don't care. It's like, yo, there's no way we, we can survive as a planet much longer. Well, they're not going to be around much longer anyway. Alright? There's a lot more destruction coming. Second trumpet we see, it says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. So notice this burning mountain cast in the sea. I personally think this is probably a massive volcanic eruption taking place. When I was studying for this, I was looking up, you know, big, you know, volcanoes that could erupt and things like that, just wondering if there was like any, you know, stories on some big mega volcano that's getting close or something like that, you know, and there was, a, there was a bunch of different ones in different parts of the world, but I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to happen. And the truth is, do you think if there was a volcano somewhere that could destroy a third part of the water, if it goes off and it was getting close, do you really think the news media would tell us about it? No, they're not. They're not going to tell us about it. It would hurt real estate prices in too many places too much. They're they're not going to, they're not going to tell us about it when that when it's about to happen. But eventually, that's going to happen somewhere. And when it does, I mean, a third of the water gone. So now, I mean, a lot of the world's food source is hurt. We get a lot of our food. From the sea, all right. The environmentalists and the whale lovers and all these people—they're going to be having heart attacks during this time. You know, a third part of the ships are gone. 
what in the world is Walmart going to do when we can't get anything from China? I mean, thankfully, I'm not going to be here because otherwise I'd be out of a job. All right, but it, I don't have to worry about any of this, thankfully. And here's the thing, too, and another thing with the, with the seven trumpets, all right? The Bible is real clear. We have not been appointed under wrath. Is there any doubt that this is the wrath of God going on right here? <laughs> I mean, there is no doubt at all God's wrath is being poured out. Unlike the events that we see in the seals that are natural events, these are supernatural events that are taking place here. This is huge. I know a volcanic eruption is kind of a uh, natural thing, but you know the hail and fire mingled with blood, that's not natural. Okay? That is clearly a supernatural thing. So in the third trumpet, verse 10, it says, And the third angel sounded, there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So we've already had the water get hurt from the mountain being cast into the sea. And now we have Wormwood. All right, what is what is Wormwood? I mean, I sounds like it's a meteor or something that probably comes and hits the earth. I don't know. They've made a ton of movies about you know meteors that are supposed to come eventually. I don't know. Maybe one finally is going to happen one of these days. I personally think that's what what it's going to be. You say, well, how would a meteor make the water bitter? All right. Well, I have no idea. All right. But at the same time, you know, it could be. All right. It could be when this meteor hits or something too. It could you know mess up some of these nuclear plants and stuff. All right. That um, can. And that's what happened at Fukushima. Alright? And supposedly Chernobyl, I've been told Chernobyl means wormwood. And so I don't know. So maybe something like that takes place that messes with these nuclear plants. And I also heard too, and you would know this, that I guess Illinois has like the most nuclear plants or something uh, than anywhere else. So I don't know if it's going to affect all of them or not. But once again, I'll be gone. I can actually sing that for this part. Alright? We won't have to be here for that, so I'm not worried about it, uh, but the rest of the world should be concerned about this. I, I mean, I, you know, being exposed to nuclear radiation, things like that, I've heard is not a pleasant thing. That's not the way I'd like to go. But then the fourth trumpet, verse 12, and the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, so that the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So this one right here, I mean, this is just a strange thing here too. Now, I don't know for sure how this is all going to work out because in the sixth seal, you know, it mentions the sun being darkened, moon turned to blood, the stars withdraw their shining. All right? It talks about the stars falling from heaven in another passage. Now, I personally believe that when the sun's darkened, moon turned to blood, I don't think it's going to stay that way you know, permanently or until Jesus comes back. When it says the stars fall from heaven, I think that's just a reference to the fact that they can't see Him anymore because of what's going on in the sky. The Bible talks about the heavens being departed as a scroll. So, I mean, somehow, you know, it could be that God is literally pulling back the sky and we're kind of seeing into the spiritual world, heaven. I don't know. Alright? We can all speculate. We can theorize. We can talk about all those things. But either way, when the stars withdraw their shining there, it obviously, 
you know, they haven't gone away because people are like, well, you know, how could the stars all, you know, just fall from the sky? You know, there's trillions of them. They're billions of miles, light years away or whatever. All, they, they, go into, they go into all these things. Well, the thing is, I just think we're not going to be able to see them whenever God does whatever He does to basically let the world know that He's coming. Because obviously there's still stars here when God starts pouring out His wrath at the fourth trumpet because of the fact a third of them aren't shining anymore. So, right there, you know, it shows they're not gone permanently at that event when the sun's dark and the moon's turned to blood because later a third of them are darkened. Now, what would that do to the planet? I don't know either. All right? I'm, not, I'm not a scientist, uh, but, you know... I would imagine that would affect temperatures quite a bit, which is interesting too because you know that would make things really cold, I would think. But then later it talks about the sun scorching men from the heat. So I don't I mean there's going to be crazy stuff going on in the sky and on this earth. And at the end of the day, this is just supernatural stuff taking place. Why? Because God is judging this earth. He is pouring out His wrath. At the end of the day, it's probably not going to be stuff that people could explain scientifically. And I think that's a mistake a lot of times people make when they're looking at these things. They're trying to explain it all scientifically. Well, the thing is, how do you explain hail and fire mingled with blood? Okay, You, you can't explain that scientifically. So, you know what? I don't necessarily have to explain this scientifically. I just know that the creator of all these things is doing stuff to them. Why? In judgment on the earth. And what... A, it, it all is going to involve, I really don't know, but I would definitely be nervous if I was a world. So then verse 13 says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. So this is not good, alright? We have an angel, woe, 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 basically pronouncing a curse saying there are three more trumpets yet to sound, and this is not good for the earth. They are in big trouble because these three woes are going to be really bad. And it's like, you, you see that, and it's like, but wait a minute. You know, that's scary, all right? What does that mean? Well, if they're making a really big deal about these last three trumpets, okay, but it doesn't really get specific yet as to what they are, okay, the question, you know, if, if it was me, I would be like, what could be worse than what just happened? Because you think about all that the world will have gone through at this point, and all of a sudden you've got this angel flying through the earth, you know, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa to the earth, and be like, didn't we already get everything you can get? It's like, no, this is far from over. This is far from over. There are three more trumpets yet to sound, and you all are in big trouble. So, that kind of takes us through chapter 8. But now what I want to do, this is a very important thing that you, need to, that you need to understand to help get rid of a lot of confusion whenever you're studying end times, and especially if you're um, looking at passages in the Old Testament, the prophetic passages in the Old Testament, because there is a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord, about Armageddon, about the rapture. These are, are key events that are talked about Often, and what people often do when you know trying to critique our timeline is they'll go to a passage in the Old Testament 
about the day of the Lord. And then they will show how Armageddon is mentioned in there. I mean, you can see a clear verse about Armageddon and, or the day of the Lord, and then you'll see Armageddon take place. Okay? And so then, you know, we'll come along and we'll say the day of the Lord is the rapture. But then we have the day of the Lord coming in, you know, a little bit after the middle of Daniel's 70th week. We still have a few years before Armageddon according to our timeline. So how does that work? When there's a verse about the day of the Lord, and then in that verse about the day of the Lord, it mentions Armageddon. That has to mean the day of the Lord is Armageddon. So are we going to be real post-tribbers and be post-seven years, as people often say? Or are you going to stick with this you know, so-called, you know, as they like to call it, mid-trib doctrine? Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are post-trib. Because after the tribulation of those days, and that's the only part of the Bible where it calls it the tribulation in Matthew 24. The sun should be darkened, and the moon should not give her light. That's the sixth seal. And the sixth seal happens after the tribulation, and it would be stupid for us to say that we are mid-trib when we believe that the rapture comes after the sun is darkened, moon turned to blood, after the sixth seal. The Bible says that happens after the tribulation. See, what they have done is they have allowed the theologians to define tribulation as seven years. And it's funny watching them try to give you a verse that shows the tribulation of seven years. They just go to Daniel chapter 9 every time. It's like, show me where that's all tribulation. You know, they, they, they can't do that. You know, show you that's all God's wrath. They can't do that. So, how do we explain all these, you know, what they would call additional events that take place after the rapture, but before Armageddon. Okay? Now, this concept you need to get, this is important that you understand this. Okay? The way I explain it, I explain these things as birth pains before the delivery. Okay? My wife is expecting a blessed event. Right? She's expecting, expecting a blessed event. We are at the time where you could say the time is at hand. All right, the baby could come, uh, you know, any time now. You could say it is it is imminent. However, while she's at the point, she's far enough along, the baby could come at any time. Truth is, we're not really seeing a whole lot of the signs. She's seeing a little bit. She went to the doctor today, and they saw they saw some signs. But the truth is, before this blessed event is going to take place, before the delivery of the baby, there are what we would call birth pains that are going to take place. Alright, she's going to get to a point where she's going to start having all these contractions. And these contractions are going to get closer and closer together. And then, as those contractions get closer and closer together, you know, eventually the water is going to break. And after, even after the water breaks, there's all these different things. And I don't want to get detailed and graphic or anything like that. But, you know, there's all these things that happen before it's time to push. Alright? And those of you that have had kids, you all have been there, you know what it's like. And now I'm talking about it and I'm getting nervous again. I don't even like thinking about it. It's, it, it I, I don't like the delivery process. I hate it. I, I hate it so much. I hate tribulation. But at the same time, all right, my wife is expecting this baby to be born. Now, 
all these things that have been leading up to it, all right? They go through their the first trimester where they have a lot of the morning sickness and stuff. And then they have the second trimester where, I don't know, I guess they just get bigger. And then they have the third trimester where they, where they really get big, you know? And they start waddling, they start having the contractions, all those things, okay? While there's a whole lot of different events that are a part of delivering a baby, you could say it's all one event too, though, can't you? And what is the main event? Okay, The main event is the delivery of the baby. But all those other things are a part of it too, are they not? They are all a part of it. And it's the same thing when it comes to the rapture, when it comes to uh, Armageddon. Those are the two main events, alright? The main event for us is the rapture. Okay, And the tribulation that happens before that, those are the birth pains that lead up to the you know the big the big moment that we're all looking forward to same thing when it comes to armageddon we have armageddon which is the main event but there are the birth pains that lead up to armageddon it's all part of the same event y'all get that it's all part of the same event you say well that's a bad illustration well actually i stole it from the bible okay now let me show you some verses all right okay it says in uh, look at Isaiah 13, verse 6 says, How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause their light to shine. We know that event very well. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So notice in that passage how it's talking about pangs. Alright? That word pang, it just means, you know, anguish, agony of body, particularly a sudden uh, or a extreme pain as in a spasm or childbirth. Okay? That is something that women go through before the real painful event. Before the big event, they have those birth pangs. Is a, a, a pangs is a word that the Bible uses. In Isaiah twenty six sixteen, says, "Lord, in trouble have they visited thee? They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them, like as a woman with child that draweth near the time of her delivery is in pain, and crieth out in her pangs. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have as were brought forth wind." We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed, for behold, the Lord cometh out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Now, what event do you think that's talking about right there? 
I mean, that's clearly talking about the rapture. It's talking about the earth casting out her dead. And it's telling us to come and hide until the indignation be overpassed. Another verse reminding us we are not here for God's wrath. But notice again too how it's referring to those pangs, these sorrows. These are things that lead up to these events. In Matthew chapter 24 that we went through a couple weeks ago, where it's talking about you know the wars, the rumors of the wars, the famines, the pestilence, all these things, it said in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. It says that before it gets to the part, for then shall be great tribulation. You all see that? That's, that's very clear in Matthew 24. The Bible often refers to the pain that the woman goes through in childbirth as sorrow. Okay? It is a sorrowful thing. It is a, it is a painful thing for them. And so, whenever we, you go to the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament sometimes, when there is a verse about the rapture, the main event, it doesn't always give all the details before it. Okay? Sometimes it's just talking about the main event. Other passages, it goes into greater detail and it tells us about all the things leading up to it. And if you were to come to me and you know, after the baby's born and you know, ask about my wife having her baby, hey, when did you have the baby? All right? I'm probably going to tell you, well, this was the day it happened. I'll, just kind of, I'll probably just tell you the main event. But if you want, I can get really detailed. So, well, it all started actually nine months ago when she got pregnant. And a little bit later, she started having morning sickness and she went and she took a pregnancy test and she noticed that she was pregnant. And, you know, and then after that, you know, the baby started growing and I can just go through all these details. And then, you know, all of a sudden one day she started having these contractions and they went. And I, I could just go into all these details if I want or I can just tell you about the main event. But at the same time, if I only talk about the main event, does it mean all those other things never happen or have nothing to do with it? No. But what do some of these ding-dongs do? They'll bring up, you know, they'll bring up some of the things that we talk about before the rapture, and then they'll go to a verse that just talks about the rapture. I don't see any of that stuff mentioned in there. Well, I'm sorry. You know, it's just that's not what that passage is about. That passage is just about the main event, the most important thing. And in childbirth, what is the most important thing? It's when the baby's actually born. When the baby is actually born, that is the main thing. Now, for the world, when they get theirs, right, they're going to go through birth pains. Okay, but what what are they going to deliver? Nothing. All right, except they're going to be end, end up being destroyed by Christ. Is what's going to happen to them. But even before their main event, they are going to have birth pains too. And we see that. And there's many more examples. We're not even going to go into all of them. That will ultimately lead to the main event, their destruction. So often in the Bible, we see references to the day of the Lord and if it's talking about what the world's going to get, it'll just talk about the main event. Just because it doesn't mention in greater detail the birth pains that lead up to it doesn't mean there's not going to be any birth pains. Okay? There will be birth pains. And just like there will be birth pains for us, before our main event. But you know what? And people, and people do. They get so mad. They get so bent out of shape when you start talking about Christians going through anything before the rapture comes. But you know what? Look what it says in John 16, verse 20. Christians feel this way because they're so short-sighted. They can't see past the nose of their face. They can't see any farther in the future than tomorrow. And look what it says in John 16, 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament 
But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. There's this clown, he's been going around, he's been posting on Facebook all these proofs against the, uh, proofs for the pre-trib rapture. And one of his proofs that he did was Jesus promised us peace. He promised, he said, my peace I leave with you. And he's given all these verses where Jesus said stuff about peace. And how could we, you know, have tribulation when Jesus promised us peace? And I'll let the comment on there. Of course, he did not respond to it. Um, it was Jesus said, in me ye have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I mean, that, I'm starting to wonder if we should make fun of this guy. His arguments are so dumb. I'm wondering if there's like a mental handicap or something. But I, I quit making fun of him just in case. Because his arguments are stupid. But you know what? Even if he's not mentally handicapped, you will get that type of argument in many pre-trib churches. That's just how desperate they are. But it's just foolish. Let's keep reading verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. You know, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing of my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. So we see right there very clearly, just like a woman, after she has that baby, she forgets about the pain. Why? Because of the joy. She brought that child into the world. And you know what? There is going to be a time coming. The Bible told us the time was going to be coming where we will weep and lament. Where we will be sorrowful. But you know what? Our sorrow will be turned into joy. That's what the Bible tells us. Our sorrow will be turned into joy. And if, you know, and the truth is, okay, it's going to be worth it. Okay? It's going to be worth it. Just like, apparently, it's worth having children for women because my wife's doing number seven. You say, oh, I, you know, you know, why would God allow us to go through tribulation? Because the joy is going to be worth it. Just like He allows women to go through the tribulation of childbirth, okay, and they do it, many of them, multiple, multiple times, okay. Now, a lot of women aren't doing it today, okay, because they have like a pre-trib mentality thinking they shouldn't have to go through any tribulation, so what do they do? They just abort it. And that's like Christians are thinking today, we can just abort the tribulation that's coming for us, and we'll teach a pre-trib rapture. Not going to work, alright? It's not going to work that way, and I'm telling you right now, it, it is going to be worth it Going through tribulation, our sorrow will be turned to joy. We'll be glad we did it. We will be, we'll be thrilled that we we're a part of it. I'm not interested in dying before it happens or find a way to escape it. I, I, I just want to endure it. I want to endure it and I'll be glad that I did. And so the Bible uses that comparison of women with child being in travail often. And so the thing is, while when it comes to a pregnancy, okay, or when it comes to having a baby, there are many things that lead up to it. 
Alright, but we often only talk about the main event. And it's the same thing when it comes to the rapture and when it comes to Armageddon. Sometimes the passage of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, a prophetic passage, it will only make a reference to the main event. Okay? But it, that does not mean, you know, these events that we see in Revelation where it goes into greater detail, where it tells us about the birth pains, it doesn't mean these are just completely separate events that are not related. They are related. The people that try to use these things and bring these things up are being ignorant on purpose. Okay? They're being ignorant on purpose so they can you know, try to just deny clear facts that are presented to them. Because at the end of the day, there is only one thing keeping the pre-trib doctrine alive. And that is political pressure. That's it. But folks, let me tell you something. It's going away because the political parties are crumbling in the Baptist world. And thank God for it. Thank God for it. We no longer, it's no longer like a two-party system is in, you know, in the government. You know, and there used to just be, you know, just a few big camps that were very popular, but that is not happening today. And a lot of these major parties are crumbling. They are falling apart. They are going down. Many of them are just becoming irrelevant. They do not matter anymore. A lot of these people in the old IFB promoting this stuff, they have, you know, pulled, they, they, they don't use the internet. They're not using social media. They're staying away from these things because they can't handle being critiqued. They cannot handle being critiqued because their doctrine is all over the place. So you know what they're doing? They're going into hiding, just trying to keep the people that are in their four walls loyal. Okay? They have their private conferences and stuff where they give some pretty good love offerings to the guest speakers to help keep these people loyal. But that stuff is failing. Folks, some of the biggest conferences, some of the I mean, huge conferences that used to go on today, they can't draw flies today. And I, I've been to some of these things. It is sad how few people are going to a lot of the, these revival fires conferences and things. I mean, hardly anybody shows up. I've been to some of these regional sort of Lord conferences. I mean, n- nobody comes to them anymore. You know why? Because they're lame and they're boring and it's all politics. It's all the preacher getting up and talking about how great he is. I'm not lying, folks. You think I'm lying. You come with me to the revival fires conference in a few months. And let's go listen to Jeff Fugate talk about himself for an hour. That's what all that's all he does. When he's not talking about himself, he's talking about his brother. Every time I've ever heard him, that's all he does. They are they are dying and and you know what they need to. I, I prefer to see them get right and have revival, but if they're not going to do that, you know what, let them die. Let them fall apart. And so the the truth is crystal clear. There's no denying it. And uh, we're just going to keep being loyal to the Scriptures and pray God keeps using us to help get the Word out on these things. So hopefully this was a help to you. Let's go ahead and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for uh, Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that we are uh, protected from the wrath that's to come. Lord, it's, it's, it's terrifying to think of what is coming on this earth. But Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, we're in the clear that You have uh, not appointed us to that wrath. And Lord, I pray You'll help us to uh, use these terrible things that are coming as a motivation to try to win people to You, to help win our loved ones to You before it's too late. I pray I bless each one for it. In Your name we pray. Amen. Well,